Hello and welcome back to Spotlight on Women in Health Ventures, the podcast powered by Thea, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering women as entrepreneurs in healthcare. Julia Bernstein is a former consultant turned healthcare strategy and growth leader, currently working as general manager of platform at 30 Madison, the virtualized specialized care platform mixing direct-to-consumer and reimbursable models. 30 Madison includes companies like Keeps, a men's hair loss solution, Cove, focusing on migraine care, and Evens for GI symptoms, and Picnic for allergies and others. Prior to 30 Madison, Julia was COO of Tempest and worked in health strategy operations and sales at Beacon Health Options, Institute on Aging, and Ginger. Earlier in her career, Julia worked at a McKinsey and Company serving healthcare companies. She received an MBA from Stanford University Graduate School of Business and a bachelor's degree from Dartmouth College. It's great to have you with us um, this morning, Julia. We're very excited to learn more about your career path and your current work with 30 Madison. I was thinking we could start at the beginning and you can tell us about your path and how you first got involved in healthcare strategy and digital health. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks so much for having me and, and excited to talk more. So I've been working in the digital health and healthcare space for most of my career. I started as a business analyst at McKinsey in their Boston office and was there for about three years. Got to do some really interesting work back at kind of the dawn of, of digital health as payers were thinking about how to diversify beyond risk-based contracts and, you know, MLR and got really excited about the potential in healthcare, but realized that I was writing these cool business plans and ideas for companies or for businesses that could be launched. And I was leaving the business plan on someone else's desk. So with that, I did what a lot of people did in the, in the late 2000s, which is moved to California and went to business school at Stanford and joined what was then Ginger.io and is now Headspace Health out of Stanford as one of the first employees, focused primarily on a mix of sales, sales operations, and commercial efforts. After a few years at Ginger, realized that I was trying to disrupt the healthcare system from the outside without having actually gotten to understand how care is provided. And so made the decision to go work for a nonprofit in the San Francisco area that was doing a lot of home care programs that focused on keeping people out of nursing homes, hospital at home, PACE, which is now much bigger than it was 10-ish years ago, and was there for a little bit and then went to a company called Beacon Health Options, which is now part of Anthem, which was a managed behavioral health organization. So we manage the mental health and substance use benefit for states, counties, health plans, and even some providers, and was in a sales role there doing everything from working with county governments in Washington to meeting with Medicaid providers in Alaska. After about three years there, wanted to get back to the startup scene and also had my my first child. So we made the decision to move back to New York. And I spent two years as a COO of Tempest, which is an alcohol use disorder treatment company, grew the company from, you know, 10 to 50, raised our series A, was a fantastic experience in terms of how to build from very close to to nothing to a real company. The pandemic hit and I got really interested in the rise of telehealth and telehealth platforms that were focused on more than just a single condition. And so made the move to 30 Madison about a year and a half ago 
where I lead what we call our platform, which is all of the shared services that support our single condition focused brands. So do everything from customer care to medical operations, to insurance billing, to pharmacy and fulfillment. And in addition, I'm an active angel investor and advisor to about a dozen companies, most of which are in the healthcare space and really love kind of opportunities like this to interact with other folks in the space, especially women. That's great. Thank you for that great overview. I guess broadly, how have these kind of experiences informed your roles working in these different companies and how have you kind of merged them with your investing and advising roles? Yeah, it's a great question. So having the breadth of experience that I've had both working for providers, payers, startups, I've seen kind of all the different facets of the digital health space as it's evolved over the last few years. And I've seen a lot of the places where there's opportunity. So one of the things that's been a lot of fun is looking and saying, you know, when I was at Beacon, hey, there's a real opportunity to use telehealth to address some of these behavioral health issues. I was in parts of Hawaii where they may not have had access to a psychiatrist on the island. And so telehealth was the only option. And now all of a sudden you've seen this kind of ballooning of folks who are who are kind of working on the inside. And interestingly, you're now starting to see the focus on things like rural health. Um, so I think from an investor perspective, I've seen a lot of the, the problems that a lot of companies are now addressing firsthand. The flip side of it is working with early stage companies makes me better at my day job. I learn a ton from the founders I work with. We go, we work through problems that I might be facing too. And so it's been a really nice opportunity to help others while also getting value for myself. I think most mentorship relationships really do go two ways. And that's been really true of the experiences I've had. Could you tell us a bit about what 30 Madison is and the different companies that it has launched? Yeah, so 30 Madison is the leading virtual provider of specialist level telemedicine. We provide asynchronous care to hundreds of thousands of patients with a variety of condition-specific brands. That number has recently grown with our merger with Nurex uh, earlier this year. What's unique about what we do is we really think about having an integrated condition agnostic care model that brings together specialist level telemedicine, personalized treatment, and ongoing care so that we can really provide an accessible and enjoyable longitudinal care experience across all of the conditions in which we work. One of the ways we do that is we've centralized a lot of the technology and operations that support those different brands. And so I sit over our shared operations. So our customer care team, the medical operations that supports our professional corporation, our pharmacy and supply chain. We recently brought our own pharmacy online, which has been really exciting. And then I've also, I also oversee our future service insurance contracting to make sure that the care we're providing is accessible regardless of how people want to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a bit about the process of launching the various companies and deciding which kind of chronic condition to target first and next? Yeah, absolutely. So our first vertical was Keeps, which is a men's hair loss brand. And that very much came out of the experience of our founder, Stephen Dimitri, as they came out of working in tech and were were looking around to see where else they could use technology to drive innovation. Since then, we've come up with a formula that really looks at where are there conditions where 
telemedicine and technology can make a difference. And there's a real shortage of specialists in particular. So Cove, which is our second brand, which is the largest migraine clinic in the country, came out of the insight that there are counties where it's a tens of miles, if not hundreds of miles drive to see a neurologist. So being able to really offer the specialist level telemedicine and get people care quickly that they might not otherwise have access to has been sort of a a big insight in terms of how we treat patients. As we've grown, it's also starting to think about what are the, the conditions that the populations that we're looking at may also need care with. So thinking about if I've got a migraine, am I also taking birth control given the the high number of migraine sufferers for women? And so, you know, our Nurex partners started with birth control and then added migraine. So we've seen a lot of really exciting ways to better serve patients across a set of chronic conditions. Mm -hmm. And how does the reimbursement work? Like do you accept insurance and are patients getting the best price? Yeah, it's a great question. So The men's hair loss business is a cash pay business and will always be a cash pay business in large part because insurance won't cover either the medical appointment or the ongoing medication for men's hair loss in most cases. So one of our innovations there is we're one of the largest purchasers of minoxidil in the country. And so we're really able to provide a great price for our, for our patients in addition to our great experience. Mm-hmm. And it comes to some of the other conditions like migraine that are more traditionally reimbursed. We are in the process of becoming a network for our medical care. We've got relationships with a half dozen plans where patients can submit that doctor's appointment for insurance. And then we're also in process with the PBMs to make sure that the medication is insured as well. And and the way I always talk about it is we talk about our care model being condition agnostic. I want us to be payment agnostic as well. So if you want to use cash pay, if you have a high deductible health plan and you want to go that route or you're underinsured, great. If you have insurance and we're in network, you can use your insurance. We're also even thinking about things like employer relationships so that the type of care we provide is accessible regardless of how people want to pay for it. Why does this model of launching these companies with single therapeutic focuses work so well? I think a lot of it has to do with the ability to uniquely understand a condition and connect with those patients. And this was actually something that I saw a lot at Tempest, which was the community around the experience of struggling with substance use. It could be a really isolating experience. And if you could bring together a community around that diagnosis and understand the patient and talk to them in a way that spoke to them and made them feel heard it can really create a differential experience for the patient. And so a lot of what we've been able to do with our brands at 30 Madison is have a unique understanding of that condition and that patient, and then be able to tailor the care and the care experience to that condition, to that patient. Julia, that's very interesting. And one of the things that I've been thinking about as we chat is the different indications and the different companies that you have, they really go for certain 
conditions that affect quality of life greatly, but that are sometimes overlooked in your like regular PCP visit or other specialties like hair loss, migraines, even the whole migraine versus contraception conversation and the risks associated and how to manage that. I think that's so, so important that you're addressing this. And I really enjoy the very disease focused and oriented approach that you have so that you try to understand the patient's condition as best as you can. And looking at the website, we were seeing that you have this value of putting the patient first in everything that you do. And I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on that, the plan going forward and how to continue to put the patient first. Yeah, I think we've all had the experience of healthcare that doesn't feel patient first, whether it's that recent New York Times article about doctors gaslighting women or whether it's even just feeling like you're at the butcher counter, grab a number when you go to urgent care or the PCP. So I think this desire to really make care about the patient, and I think, as you pointed out, Louisa, a look at functional outcomes is really important. So it's really been core to how we've built, and it's also core to how we're continuing to build. So as we think about, for instance, continuing to integrate technology, making sure that we're doing so in a way that keeps the patient at the center and allows our clinical team not only to function at the top of their license, but function in a way that is patient forward and patient first is really important. We're also continually pushing ourselves to think about outcomes like everyone else in the space, but I've always thought about outcomes in sort of a few buckets. I think one is obviously validated scales and clinical outcomes and the things that we all talk about, GAD7s or PHQs in the mental health space, um, has become very accepted. The second is engagement. And this is really important when you're talking particularly to third-party payers around are people using the app? Are people using the service? But the third category for me, and I think the category that's going to be most important, is functional outcomes. Is this condition, was this condition getting in the way of my life? And is it no longer? Am I sleeping better? Am I going outside? Am I not missing days of work? And so for me, being a patient first company means putting those functional outcomes as much at the center of what we're doing as the engagement and clinical metrics that we might need, for instance, for third party payment discussions. I was wondering if we could shift gears a little bit to talk about some trends that you see in the field. So like specifically towards healthcare consumer behavior, what are the trends that you expect are on the rise and how are they changing from what you've seen in the past? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. When I started at McKinsey, McKinsey does this kind of healthcare consumer behavior survey every year. And I remember using that data back in, you know, 2008, 2009. And it was very much like it was kind of accepted knowledge that patients are not consumers and people don't think about themselves as buyers of healthcare. And so you have this web of who pays and who consumes to navigate. And McKinsey is still doing that survey. And I think the data has really changed. I think that we definitely see ourselves as not only buyers of healthcare, but as more informed consumers. And I think we've seen a lot of the trends there with the rise, not only of kind of the direct-to-consumer healthcare businesses, but also the general focus, at least in certain demographics around this idea of wellness. I would say, though, that I don't think this change has gone all the way. If you look at the path of all these direct-to-consumer businesses, most companies that start direct-to-consumer do ultimately then move to third-party payment relationships, whether it's a fee-for-service insurance contract, a bundled payment or a case rate, an employer relationship. So 
I think that we have become consumers in the sense that we are making choices to a certain extent about where we get our care and frankly, price shopping, especially around medicine. As you look at Amazon and Mark Cuban's company and this focus on on good RX and generic pricing. But when it comes to anything expensive, I think there's still an expectation that the user is not necessarily the person who's paying for care. That's very interesting. I do see what you mean in terms of us becoming more informed consumers. And I also wondered what extent has this pandemic shown light on this because there seems to be greater literacy about some topics and even terms that weren't being thrown out in common conversations. And now people seem to be more aware of these. And I also wonder if people are going to continue to build on that literacy going forward. Yeah. You know, the other point I'll make about consumerism is some of the products that weren't necessarily seen as having an impact on health now are. And I think a lot about the focus on housing and social determinants and food. And so as what counts as healthcare consumerism expands, I think we've also seen this intersection between I am consuming things with those things have an impact on my health. And so I think that's been another interesting shift over the last 10 or so years. That's a really great point. And I think that also mental health fitting into this conversation is a really big thing. And we know that you have an interest in digital behavior health. And I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about that and how you see it going forward, as well as, you know, there's been so much interest from investors and even from the entire community, I think, in talking more about this, as well as investing in companies that are promoting mental health What would be required for a company to stand out in this space, given that there is a lot of traction at the moment? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think the first thing is it's really exciting to see the focus on addressing mental health even pre-pandemic. And you've had a few generations of companies is almost how I think about it. So I think your first generation were... The Headspace Gingers, Lira's, Modern, Spring, which were okay, we're going to address access. People are still getting healthcare to a large extent through their employer or through their health insurer. Both of those companies have legacy programs that may not have the biggest networks or the best tools. We're going to build better approaches, whether it's coaching, whether it's CBT programs, some combination of all of the above. Then I think you have the second generation of direct-to-consumer businesses, which are mostly focused on anxiety and depression. There's a number of them. You know, there's a lot of overlap too between the employer space and the direct-to-consumer space. And I think that's been incredibly exciting, but it's only addressed one segment of the mental health space, which is really just anxiety and depression in a relatively functional population. What's been really exciting, I think, for me, as I look at, especially after the last two years, is the rise of companies that are focused on niche populations that serve a sicker patient, but are really able to do something meaningful for that population. So I was an early investor in a company called Equip, which is doing family-based eating disorder treatment virtually and has grown a ton and has had some really, really exciting outcomes. There's another company that I'm an investor in called Marigold that's doing text-based substance use treatment in a Medicaid population. And then there are some other companies that whether it's NoCD, which is focused on OCD firsthand, which is doing um, feet on the street work with the severely mentally ill, you're starting to see this recognition that this type of technology and these type of companies can address more, more beyond that working well population. So I think that's been really exciting. I think 
for any of these companies to stand out, at the end of the day, it comes back to outcomes. And again, it comes back to clinical engagement and those functional outcomes so that people can say, hey, step one was getting people access. Step two was showing that the care that we've gotten them access to is really making a difference. And and I think it's been really exciting is now all of these companies have research functions and are working with academic groups. And so that to me is, is also a really exciting development. And I think is actually putting pressure back on traditional providers to be more outcomes driven in their work. Shifting back to 30 Madison, I know that you earlier talked about you guys being one of the biggest minoxidil consumers. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the partnerships and relationships between the company and I guess the individual companies as well and pharma. Yeah, so we have supplier relationships. So we're able to directly purchase and distribute most of the generic medication that we provide. In the circumstances in which we're providing specialty medication, we'll partner with the drug company, we'll partner with the hub, we'll also go through insurance for a lot of the specialty meds since those are more expensive. We also have had a chance to work with pharma companies more broadly just to think about what the ecosystem needs to look like. So a lot of really interesting conversations about everything from clinical trials, since we've got huge databases or we've got tons of patient data to, you know, thinking about access to to medication. Most of our partnership activity to date has been focused around payers and employers and to a certain extent retail. So one of the things that I'm really excited about is as of last week, the allergy medication provided by our brand Picnic, which is our allergy provider, is now available in 500 CVS stores nationwide. So we've had some really exciting partnerships there. Wow, that's very, very exciting. And what about healthcare systems? How do they fit into this picture? So one of the things that I've always said about 30 Madison is we recognize that we need to work within the existing system to be successful and to kind of hit our goals of being patient-centered and providing access. I think there's a lot of opportunity for us in working with health systems. One of the things that we think a lot about is the strengths and limitations of virtual care. So there's a lot we can do virtually with our asynchronous care model. There's a lot we can do by extending the last mile into the home, starting to think about mobile phlebotomy, lab tests, and things like that. But there are things that can only be done in person. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to refer to and partner with health systems for everything from colonoscopies for the gastro patients under our Evans brands to CT scans for our neuro patients to everything in between. So I'm actually really excited about the healthcare system partnership angle. It's not necessarily one that we've tapped into that much to date. Can you talk about how much the treatments cost and then how you get those lower costs, what that process is like? Yeah. So one of the things that we've been very deliberate about in our care model is offering asynchronous telemedicine. So you're not coming down and having a five-minute scheduled appointment unless you absolutely need one. Instead, we're collecting your information. You're providing all of your symptoms and diagnostic criteria answers in the text-based, and then our clinicians are reviewing them and giving you an answer asynchronously. So we're able to do things in a way that doesn't necessarily require a face-to-face visit. The other thing we've done is we offer what we call specialist-level telemedicine. So we've got a medical director who's a board-trained neurologist, and we've got a, a bunch of clinical advisors who have cumulatively hundreds of experience, years of experience treating migraines, putting together all our 
all our protocols. The clinicians who are doing that review may not be board certified neurologists. They may be internal medicine docs or PAs who have more general clinical experience, but are working within the algorithms and rules that are put together by our advisors and our medical directors and are very, very good at treating migraines according to the 30 Madison approach. And so that combination of specialist level telemedicine and asynchronous care has allowed us to deliver medicine in a way that is accessible at a cash price as we think about our goals of patient centricity and access. And what do you see as a future for 30 Madison? How do you see it expanding and growing? The future is really exciting, especially with our merger with Nurex. We've said for a while that our goal is to have one chronic condition brand for every American with a chronic condition so that we can touch the lives of everyone who struggles with chronic illness. That's going to be a lot of expansion in the conditions that we treat. We're launching a few more in the next few months. It's also going to be an expansion in the types of services we offer. So starting to think about brick and mortar, we opened our first hair restoration clinic in New York earlier this year. And really just thinking about how can we build a much more comprehensive clinic for folks who are living with chronic illness. That's wonderful. And what does that look like to picture the future and kind of expand when you build out a new brand? Yeah, so I think it means having those really tight clinical protocols, having our own medications and and medication approaches, and really being able to offer a specialized, specialist level model of care that is truly differentiated. So we've got, you know, we talked in our Series C announcement, dermatology, sleep, cardiometabolic, some really interesting conditions and some news coming very soon about what we're going to be doing to really touch the lives of more people who live with chronic illness. Now, just to conclude, we're going to do some rapid fire questions, if that's okay. What is one book you recommend, especially for aspiring entrepreneurs and investors and innovators in healthcare? Great question. One of my favorite books of all time is The Emperor of All Maladies by Sid Mukherjee, which is a history of cancer treatment. It is a fantastic book for anyone interested in healthcare. The other book I would recommend that's probably a little bit more practical is a book called Connect by Carol Robin. I was lucky enough to go to Stanford Business School, which is known for something called Touchy Feely, which is a class formerly called Interpersonal Dynamics that's really focused on how to build relationships with the people in your lives. Carol really developed and led the program while I was at Stanford and Connect is her book. And so think of it as one of the best parts of an MBA available for like $17 on Amazon (laughs) or your local independent bookstore. (laughs) And what keeps you motivated? It's building a better world, right? Like I have two kids, a three-month-old and a, and a four-year-old, and I want them to live in a world where they have access to the care they need and they can be healthy and happy. And it's super trite. At Stanford, we used to say this whole model was change lives, change organizations, and change the world. So I think at a macro level, it's that focus. I think on a day-to-day, it's one of the things I love about 30 Madison is I work with just an amazing group of people. And so working with that team really helps me day to day. Lastly, do you have any piece of advice for our listeners? 
I'm a huge fan of Adam Grant's work. He's a social psychologist at Penn. And one of the things that he talks a lot about is the importance of giving back in terms of favors, helping people, you know, building, building a network through supporting others. And so that's one of the things that's been central to how I've built my career. When I was in business school, I worked for a, a really fabulous female entrepreneur named Mariah Finley, who started a company called Citrus Lane that was basically Birchbox for Babies. And the way she started her company is she just started taking networking coffees and meetings back, you know, when you could do that in person. And at the end of every meeting, she would ask, who are three other people I should talk to? She would get the names and then she would follow up with an intro email or whatever made sense. And so I think my advice would be give back, but also don't be afraid to ask for the help from people when they offer. That's definitely a great one. And I think it goes back to what you were talking about, like this two-way relationship of mentorship and how we can learn so much from our mentors, but also as a mentor, also learn so much from the mentees. Julia, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. And we look forward to seeing everything that 30 Madison has set for its future. We're definitely going to be on the lookout for some use in the upcoming months. And thank you for doing the work that you're doing. Sounds good. And thank you both. We need more healthcare professionals who are bringing the, the excitement and enthusiasm that both of you bring. So thank you for the time. Thank you all for listening. Visit us on Instagram at Thea Healthcare, on Twitter at ThiaHC, and on our website at ThiaHC.org for more content and to join our vibrant community of young professionals, entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders in healthcare. Special thanks to our amazing producer, Sarah Wetzler, and audio editors, Ellie Park, Asim Jane, Nikita Gupta, and Katie Donahue. If you're enjoying our content, please consider supporting Thea by visiting our website, ThiaHC.org, to donate.